Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Popovic and Pat Donahue. Mike, how's it going, man? You went on vacation, didn't you? I had a mini vacation last weekend. I've got one coming up at the end of the month, and I'm really looking forward to that. I could use a week. It's been awfully busy. The The news business has kept us very busy the last couple of months. Just a couple of things happening, but, you know. Where'd you go? <laughs> I was in Ocean City, actually. Best nice. friend uh, came down with his wife and two kids and my wife, and it was a uh, it was a fun-filled weekend. A lot of sports on the beach, but I tell you, those kids tired us out. I think I'm, I'm still trying to recover from that. <laughs> Nice. Pat, how's it going, man? You went somewhere too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I uh, just got back from Colorado the other night. Um, nice. Took a quick little trip out there with my girlfriend to see some friends that live out there. Um, you know, mostly just uh, social distance uh, while we were there. And, um, you know, just kind of took it easy and just relaxed, just, you know, recharge for a couple of days. Awesome. Well, while we were gone, we've been gone almost a month. Um, and we do definitely have a lot of news. So we're going to start off um, just about an hour ago, right, Mike? The NCAA um, released some COVID-19, what is it, guidelines or bullet points? Go through those for us. Sure, yeah. The NCAA Sports Science Institute released an updated report to help provide guidance to schools to help protect student-athletes and prevent the spread of COVID-19. Per the NCAA.org release, It's quoted as saying the guidelines are designed to inform schools in responding appropriately based on their specific circumstances and in the best interest of returning college athletes' health and well-being. And while these are general recommendations, the NCAA noted that many sports require close personal contact and require specially crafted guidelines. So among the biggest recommendations were daily self-health checks, the appropriate use of face coverings and social distancing during training, competition, and outside of athletics testing strategies for all athletics activities, including preseason, regular season, and postseason, testing and results within 72 hours of competition in high-contact risk sports. They also going to say any recommendation on a pathway toward a safe return to sport will depend on the national trajectory of COVID-19 spread. Now, that comes from the NCAA's chief medical officer. Uh, The NCAA president, Mark Emmert, uh, was talking about the fact that We can resume college sports if we can achieve an environment where COVID-19 rates are manageable. Today, he says, sadly, the data point is in the wrong direction. If there's to be college sports in the fall, we need to get a much better handle on the pandemic. I think, though, that depends on where we're talking about. If you're talking Maryland, Maryland's in really good shape right now. But, you know, they're just one of 14, though, of course. Yeah, it depends. And, and, you know, we've seen this across the country where things are starting to spike in certain areas um, for certain reasons. Um, I did see that quote from Emmert where, you know, he's talking about, you know, it doesn't look good right now. Uh, Obviously, we have about two months, two and a half, two, two and a half months um, with things getting pushed back in a lot of these conferences, um, which we'll talk about in a second. Mm. And we were talking about, you know, right before we jumped on that, you know, the NFL, it seems a little, a little optimistic, but in college, 
you know, when we're dealing with kids um, and we're dealing with entire universities of kids going back to school and a lot of the sports being, you know, decisions hinging on that as well. It's not as optimistic, um, especially as we were looking even a month ago where it did look pretty optimistic for things starting up. So the Big Ten um, was the first conference of, I'm sure, what will be many. And I believe the Pac-12 at least has done the same thing yep. um, where they're moving to a conference only schedule for football, which obviously um, they, you know, it, it serves a few purposes. Number one, it pushes things back. Um, it pushes things back probably about a month uh, on average for most of these teams where you're starting in late September, early October. Uh, it removes your non-conference. It gives you more control um, over your schools and your conference and their protocols that they have in place. So for Maryland, this means that you lose games against Towson, Northern Illinois, and a trip to Morgantown uh, to face West Virginia. Uh, those were the only three that they have. They're going to a 10-game schedule, which means we're going to add a game. Um, so one question I have, Mike, have you heard anything? Because, you know, I've heard a lot of, you know, I think, I forget who it was. It was somebody on FS1 talking about how you know, he suggested that you you start in late September, early October, and then you go through Christmas, and you ha have bye weeks basically every week. Um, are you hearing anything? When are they talking about adding this game? Are they going to tack it on to the end of the schedule? Are they going to remove the buy? Is there any been, has there been any talk yet about you know when they're going to do that? Yeah, I haven't seen anything specific. I know that the ACC and Big Twelve, and I think uh, some of this revolves around them as well. I know the ACC and Big Twelve are looking to make a decision late this month, if not early August. So yeah, the SEC as well, I believe. Yeah, and there was some talk about maybe trying to have Virginia and West Virginia play each other, uh, given the fact that West Virginia is now off Maryland's schedule. I, I have to be honest, I have not seen a whole lot in terms of detail about how they're going to structure this. And I, I think it's all conjecture anyway, because there's still uncertainty. So to say that, you know, we're going to add, add one game for 10 and we're going to go to maybe the end of December. I don't know that anybody really can say that uh, firmly. I actually would think that by eliminating the three, I would think they would not want to add a game and make it 10 only in that it gives them flexibility with anything that should pop up. And yes, it gives them the opportunity to spread out those games as well, um, which, you know, certainly makes sense. And I do think certainly, uh, you know, Zach and Pat, that they will look to try to do an every other week type scenario if they can, especially if there's a breakout after a game, uh, most certainly. Uh, but I, I don't I don't see anything in, in certainly in concrete. Yeah, the last thing they want to do um, is, is having a situation where a team's unable to play a game because so many other kids have the virus. Um, and then there's, you know, there's the constant talk about, you know, maybe, you know, if, if it gets bad enough, you, you move to a spring schedule. So I want to talk about this more in like framing it around Maryland, Pat, you know, one of the, th one thought that I had was that this being a rebuilding, not rebuilding, but a building year for Mike Loxley, you know, we've already talked about how, you know, we probably won't judge him based on record this year. Is this a blessing in disguise, adding a conference game and getting rid of some of the non-conference? Does it for because my thought was it forces a lot of these kids, especially the young ones, into games that maybe they wouldn't necessarily play in. You know, before it was let's get them experience against Towson or Northern Illinois. Now it's hey, we can throw them in against Ohio State and Michigan and still redshirt them. Is that what are your thoughts on that? Is it could it be a blessing in disguise? Yeah, from that 
point of view, I, I see what you're saying, Zach, in terms of, you know, maybe building more towards the future by getting some of the younger talent, some better competition. You also, it's a fine line between getting a freshman better competition and then completely just demoralizing them and crushing their spirit on their first couple of snaps. So I think you have to be careful with that. Um, I don't know. I mean, going to an all Big Ten schedule doesn't sound any, you know, better to me to me most days when when usually Maryland is good for at least two or three wins in the non-conference and those are obviously much needed wins um but I I think with so much unknown and and not even knowing a if there will be a season b you know how long there will be a season or or c how deep into the roster they'll have to go based off of positive tests or things like that I think there's a number of ways it could be you know, silver linings that could be seen and, and it could be spun as a positive. But overall, um, I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people just don't know what what to expect or what's going to come of this at this point. So uh, it, it's certainly because this wasn't a season based off of, you know, with high expectations based off of win loss record. Um, you know, I certainly think Maryland is has less to lose, I should say, than other programs out there. Yeah, that's something that I was thinking, you know, if, if there was a year for this to happen, this probably isn't a bad year for it. So right now, Maryland's set to open the season on October 3rd against Minnesota. We'll see if that happens. You know, obviously, we're about two and a half months away from that. It's weird being two and a half months out and really not knowing what a season, if a season is even going to happen. But that's the situation that we're in. Uh, continuing on the Maryland theme, uh, the Terps were force, forced to uh, suspend Voluntary workouts, nine uh, student athletes and staff tested positive for COVID-19 and were placed in self-isolation. I know they're uh, they're doing their contact tracing and all of that. But right now, the, the, the football team is not conducting any workouts, which obviously isn't good. But it's also something that I feel like most of the universities across the country have been forced to do because there have been positive tests everywhere. And, and nine is pretty low. And I think, you know, Alabama had like something like 30 at some point and Clemson had 20 something. So, you know, we're in decent shape and Mike, like you mentioned, um, you know, Maryland as a whole really isn't in bad shape as state statewide, as far as rates go. Right now that said, well, two things. One is that I, I have to admit, I was a little surprised though, that they did make that decision because it was such a low number of players. If it got to a point where it was, you know, 10%, of the 185 or 189 of the total, something like that. Okay, maybe I could see them start to make that decision. I was really surprised. Nine of 185 seems really low for them to make that decision. So I'm not sure I agree with that personally. Uh, PG County today, though, uh, canceled football, high school football for uh, 2020. Their schools are going online, I believe, at least until early next year or to December uh, essentially 2021 there. Uh, so that uh, that's the county, of course, that College Park is in, just for, for folks to know. But yes, statewide, certainly, yes, the state is uh, in, in good shape. I believe around 4% below the 5% threshold that the CDC is uh, is looking to try to maintain. Yeah, and PG County was always, they were in bad shape from the get-go. They were. The, DC, they were. the D.C. area as a whole. And you mentioned PG County can- canceling uh, high school sports. It's likely that the state's going to follow because D.C. and Virginia have already done that. Um, you know, D.C. canceled all high school sports in the fall, and, and the whole state of Virginia did as well. And, my, and Pat, we were talking about this before. You know, you're obviously very involved with uh, recruiting for rivals. So what impact, I mean, this is going to have a major, major impact, not just for, you know, the people like you who are covering it, but for schools that are trying to recruit. 
Um, you know, what are your overall thoughts? You know, we're, we're losing an entire high school football season in this area. Does this hurt Maryland or does it help them because other schools may not have the insight into the schools that uh, the, the Terps do? Yeah, I think it actually could help Maryland um, keep some local guys home. Not only, obviously, the whole pandemic, um, you know, starting a trend of, of kind of in higher ed overall of, of college age students want to stay closer to home. Um, so I think, you know, just from that standpoint, it could help Maryland, especially, you know, when it comes to recruiting some of the local DMV guys. Um, I think if there is no high school sports in, or at least high school football in the DMV next year, then you would also have to think that maybe that would help Maryland because much of our, uh, the Maryland staff, uh, and especially coach Loxley have seen a lot of these top recruits since they were, you know, in the grassroots, since they were in middle school and, and actually have um, a good rapport and relationship with them. So they might be able to leverage that to their advantage. Um, you know, if, if the seniors, the, the 2021 kids that have already committed, got their, maybe got their visits out of the way early in the spring or didn't get their visits out of the way, but are already committed. Um, they're, going to be the real winners here because if they got to pick you know the college they wanted to go to uh before you know not having to uh sit out a season that could have you know potentially brought in more offers or or raised their stock um you know if you're a senior who hasn't that, that has aspirations of playing division one college football and you haven't committed anywhere yet or don't have the offer list that you would like yet um you know you better have some really good junior film or or an in somewhere to to maybe get an offer or get a, an extra look. So um, it's going to be interesting across the board how how college staffs um, handle recruiting. But I think for those universities like Maryland that are located in a recruiting hotbed, I think it should – It should. I don't want to say it's going to help them more than it would if you know we had high school football, but I want to say they are in a more advantageous position than most um, other programs. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, Loxley obviously has the the strongest ties to this area of pretty much anybody. So you know, he's he's known these kids for way longer than you know somebody coming in from out of state. Um, right now, as it stands, I'm looking at the recruiting rankings. Maryland currently sits. We haven't had any commitments since our last show. Uh, we had Caleb Williams obviously uh, committing to Oklahoma mm-hmm. as expected. Greg Penn uh, to uh, LSU as well. Greg Penn to LSU. You're right. No. So we had both of those, even though Penn was looking good yep. uh, for Maryland the week before, but he was always high on LSU. I don't know why you want to go p- play for Bo Pelini when you <laughs> could have Loxley, but I guess that just that's just the way it goes. But I'm looking at number, or, you know, we're sitting at number 18 nationally, fifth in the Big Ten, according to 24-7 composite. Uh, I don't know if you guys are seeing anything differently, but... Um, that's what I see right now. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Um, in good shape, obviously, uh, right behind Iowa in the Big Ten and right ahead of, of Minnesota. And then nationally, I'm looking at right behind, obviously, Iowa, Notre Dame, ahead of Texas A&M, Louisville. So, you know, it, we'll see if, you know, 16 commits. I don't know how how big the class is expected to be. Uh, he'll, Loxley will definitely add some more guys there. Pat, are you hearing anything as far as guys we should – we should be looking for in the next few weeks to commit? Um, there are definitely some names that, you know, the Terps are still pursuing. Um, 
you know, I've spoken with a few of them recently. I, I would say one of their top remaining targets is a, a center out of Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Mike Mislinski. Uh, his dad uh, is actually a um, uh, he's actually the strength and conditioning coach for uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. And he's a former, uh, I think, 12 year NFL vet, um, all American at Tennessee. So he's got good pedigree. Um, he is getting it's it's odd. Rivals hasn't, I think I explained this in one of our previous podcasts, Rivals, um, they update their their ratings and their rankings of individual student-athletes, you know, at, at regular times throughout the year. So it's not like a continuous rolling thing. So Miss um, Linsky is actually listed by Rivals as a two-star right now. He's a high three at a lot of other places. And uh, I think you're going to see him, you know, be a high three or maybe even a four star status when the rankings are finalized um, based off his offer list. He um, uh, other than Maryland, he's also very high on Texas, very high on Iowa. Um, I would say those two are probably uh, Maryland's stiffest competition here. But he did just visit recently with his family, um, took his own little tour around campus. You can't interact with the coaches and stuff, but he can like virtual FaceTime them and everything and walk around campus. Um, visit seems to have gone well. Oh, and another thing I forgot to mention, perhaps the actually two biggest things with him um, is his grandfather is a um, former Maryland football player and a former captain from the 60s. Mm-hmm. So he does have, um, you know, he does have that connection to Maryland as well. Um, and then another connection that he has actually is um, – Maryland strength and conditioning coach George Hilo uh, hired this past offseason. He um, it, he his two younger brothers actually go to the same high school. One just graduated as Mislinski, and his one younger brother is like best friends with uh, Mike Mislinski. So those are just like little things that um, you know are definitely trending in Maryland's favor. There, I'm not saying he's a lock by any means, but as a um, very talented center. From a from a recruiting hotbed, he would be you know a big get for Maryland. Um, other than them, you know, obviously I would still keep an eye on Malcolm Johnson Jr., the receiver. Um, I've heard things have cooled off a little bit with him at Maryland, so you never want to hear that with a high profile guy, but certainly possible. Um, Jalil Farouk also still possible. Um, he, you know, some think he might go to Oklahoma with um, Caleb Williams, but he is, um, you know still someone who Maryland could steal away. So a couple guys, things have slowed down a little bit, but I think students are waiting to see, you know, what happens in the fall here. And center is definitely a position in need. Uh, if you look at Johnny Jordan, will graduate after this year, and there's not really a clear, I know Austin Fontaine worked a little bit there um, when he transitioned from defense, but there's not really a clear uh, guy behind Jordan. Um, and that's that's one thing that I looked at, you know, I have two articles of, you know, last last episode, we talked a lot through the, the skill positions and the previews I have up on BSL. I have two offensive line previews, one breaking down the tackles and the other breaking down guards and centers. Um, from what I'm seeing there, Mike, uh, in my projections, uh, it looks like you're going to have Jalen Duncan starting at left tackle. You're going to have Marcus Minor at right tackle. Those are pretty much locks. And then... I've got Austin Fontaine at right guard, Johnny Jordan at center. I see those as pretty much locks. And then the left guard spot I'm seeing as kind of up in the air. But then behind those guys is kind of what I want to talk about. 
because there's not a whole ton of proven depth here and it's a lot of young unproven guys and i know pat i'll give you a chance to speak on this as well because i know you you express some concern especially at the tackle position how big a concern is the depth here mike well it's absolutely a concern and we've talked about this time and time again that really the trenches is where this team has to get right um, you know, we could talk about the skill guys all we want, and they've done a pretty good job of that uh, over the last couple of years through various coaches and schemes, et cetera. But this is where they have to get better. And, you know, Pat, with a player that you're talking about down in Florida, that's the kind of guy that maybe a little bit under the radar right now, you know, two star by rivals, but a strong three uh, elsewhere. And you've got a team like Iowa who's known for producing offensive linemen. You got to get those kind of guys somehow, some way to College Park. You know, Texas, you said, is in the mix as well. Uh, but it's certainly a concern. But I, you know, we could talk about depth, but they need the starters to perform on a fairly consistent level basis with that. So, yes, when you're talking about if you get beyond those guys down to another level, uh, that uh, that is certainly problematic. But they need their starters offensively uh, along that line to be better and more consistent. We just haven't had it. Hopefully, as we talked about with consistency and scheme and coaching, uh, that's going to help things out uh, hopefully quite a bit. And a lot of these guys coming back, having some experience there uh, as well. And let's hope that that's something going forward that will be stronger for them. They've done a great job addressing their D-line for the upcoming 2021 class. Uh, but uh, no question that if you want to you know, tag a Viloa or Jackson uh, to be able to be effective, those guys up front have to do a at least a halfway decent job. Yeah. And, you know, the talents there, you know, you've got, uh, you, you know, Duncan and Miner on the outside were both, I believe, four star guys. And you've got Austin Fontaine. I know he was a defensive guy, but he was probably your most consistent offensive lineman last year uh, after transitioning over. So, Pat, I know you, you expressed some concern at the, at the tackle position. Now, uh, Loxley has added a few junior college guys that'll hopefully add some experience to what's a fairly young offensive line room. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on how this offensive line shakes out and maybe even, you know, how the, it looks like the left guard spots, the going to be the one that's up for grabs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think when it comes to tackles, you can, uh, you can certainly do worse than Jalen Duncan and Marcus Minor as your starters, I think that just yeah. that the depth behind them is is a bit scary. I mean, not a lot of playing experience there, not a lot of um, high pedigree in terms of you know how these uh, players were recruited. Um, it yeah, it, and and honestly, Minor Minor and Duncan have had their fair share of injuries, you know, throughout their career. Um, not always something major, but things that make them, you know, either miss a few games or at least a few snaps. So the depth is going to come into play, you would think. Um, one guy, you know, in terms of just keeping it on the, the subject of tackles, uh, one one player I do like to, you know, you have him as a fourth team um, tackle right now, and I do think that's where he could start given his, um, you know, fact that he's a freshman and lack of experience. Um is Ja'Kai Green. I think by the end of the year, I think he, um, not necessarily a starter unless there's a lot of injuries, but I think he is someone who could finish, you know, second on the depth chart perhaps and, and get some spot playing time or spot starts um, if the opportunities present itself. So he's the one backup tackle that I do kind of feel optimistic about. Um, obviously, you'd like to have more than that in the cupboard, but uh, on the inside, um, you know, Evan Gregory, I think, you know, 
you say that the left guard position, right, is the one you're saying is kind of up for grabs. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree. I mean, it's really the non-Austin Fontaine spot. He could play either, but I th- he played mostly right last year when mm-hmm. David went down. Yeah, and I think that, you know, Gregory and Fontaine are, I, I, I wouldn't say one's markedly better than the other, per se. Uh, I don't necessarily think that is the strongest position for Maryland. Um, I kind of like Johnny Jordan at center a little bit more than them. Uh, But even Johnny Jordan, you know, he's had injuries and and has still has things to prove as well. So the interior might be a struggle um, for the Terps this year. But I do think that from top to bottom, because of the Juco guys that you mentioned, um, most of them are interior guys. I I think that from top to bottom, the interior is a little bit stronger for, for the Terps. Yeah, and Zach, let me just, let me just say this: that I would rather be strong at the tackles inside. I'd rather, you know, if I had to make up my mind, or if I had a choice, that excuse me, I'd rather be strong at the tackles and weak inside. In the sense that, yes, pressure up the middle is not good for a quarterback. Don't get me wrong, but at least the guard, one of the two guards, could get help against the center, depending on the defensive fronts uh, that get thrown their way. You also can put in an H back. They can help out or a running back. They can help out up the middle as well and pass pro. But you want your, you want to have some fairly uh, decent tackles on the outside. And I think, Pat, you hit it on the head. You could do a lot worse than uh, what they have there. And certainly with Duncan getting freshman experience right out of the gate uh, was valuable to him. You know, the issue here, you, you, Zach, you brought it up with uh, games against, you know, conference opponents, non-conference opponents and the benefits and the, the positives and negatives. The development factor, though, is the problem here for Maryland this year. Again, Loxley has his guys now that he wants in the program, and he's adding new ones, obviously, with the 21 class coming in. But this is a huge development year for Maryland, and this doesn't help if practice is impacted, games are lessened. So on the one hand, it it, it may help them out a little bit with recruiting. I don't know. But in terms of development, this kills Maryland. They can't afford this. A team like Ohio State, Michigan, even Penn State, they can, they're fine. They'll be okay. Even Minnesota, they're going to be okay. Maryland, they really need this time. And Mike, yeah. to that point, just real quick here, Zach, to that point, there is no, there are no reinforcements coming in on the offensive line in terms of that lack of development. There are no offensive linemen committed to the 2021 class at the moment. And that could, you know, obviously you hope that changes. Maybe you add a guy like uh, Miss Linsky from from Jacksonville. But, um, you know, outside of that, there's not going to be a huge influx of offensive linemen coming in next year. So you better, you know, hope the coaching staff better hope that they can, you know, uh, develop some of these young guys in some way this year. Well, and to be fair, they certainly had to address the defensive line, and they did that. And some may say, well, but at the, you know, with offensive line struggling, though, by not getting an O-line guy. But I – they needed to address the defensive line too, though. I'll just say that they've they've had their fair share of success getting guys in on the offensive line. They just haven't unfortunately panned out. But I hear what you're saying, Pat. Absolutely. So that's where development gets, you know, magnified here. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also a numbers thing because you know you you did have Bingo. very few defensive linemen on the roster. Right. Uh, so you had some holes there. There's a lot of offensive linemen on the roster. Yeah, they know it's, what they're doing with the numbers, but right, they, they've got to hope they can get some production there from some of these guys finally. But they absolutely had to go after the front, uh, or excuse me, the front seven of the defense and attack that. So that's why you see that disparity. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily blaming them for that. 
Definitely. And and I think that's why you saw a lot of JUCO guys added is that, you know, you, you get them for two years. Hopefully they give, give you some experience while you have this like overload of maybe lesser talented offensive linemen, a lot of backload backlog of like three stars from the last few years. I'm looking at a guy I, you know, I really like Johari Branch. Mm-hmm. He was the interior guy I was going to point out. Yeah. I yeah. Think I had mean, a chance to come super in. athletic. I mean, he's your ideal guard if you're trying to pull. He can play some tackle if you need him to, slide him at right tackle, but mostly a really athletic guard. I think he fits with the RPO game. He could definitely start over Gregory at left guard. and Hell, he could start over Fontaine too. Um, So he's a guy that I definitely keep an eye on. And and Pat, going back to Green, I, I agree. I think... I think he could he could crack the two deep immediately because I just don't think I think especially at tackle and really at guard too you've got your starters for the most part lined up everything behind that's wide open even for the freshman incoming um, so there's a lot of opportunities um, but with opportunities it's kind of scary because you don't have that experience uh, right behind your starters so that'll be interesting to see how all that uh, pans out um, keep an eye. You know, I have those previews up on on BSL. I'll, I'll be kicking off some defensive line previews shortly. Um, and this year, the the defensive line will be interesting because there's not a whole lot of not a whole lot of players on the roster. Um, but obviously, like Mike mentioned, we've got a lot of uh, reinforcements coming in next year. So before we go, uh, Pat, I want to give you an opportunity. You're going to have an article up, what, this week, early next week yep. um, on Bino Ranson and Jeff Goodman, how he's ranked him as one of the top assistant basketball coaches in the country. Yeah, uh, in a time, you know, where we're all um, all sports writers, all sports reporters are, are, you know, desperate for content with no live sports going on and um, and, and no regular off season for football, basketball, um, you know, you see professionals like Jeff Goodman, um, you know, doing what they need to do to, uh, keep people interested, keep people reading. And one of the things he did was, you know, he recently polled, um, he went through each conference in, in college basketball and he polled the assistant coaches in each of those conferences and asked them who they thought the best assistants were in their respective conferences. Um, so for the Big Ten, he came out with the top five list and Bino Ranson, uh, Orlando Bino Ranson, however you you know know him as, uh, he uh, came in at number five on the list. Uh, you know, two Michigan State guys, an Ohio State guy, and an Indiana guy ranked ahead of him. But um, you know, I thought that was kind of neat when I saw that press release come through the other day. Uh, Bino doesn't always get the recognition or love. Um, from Maryland fans or from, you know, Maryland basketball fans, I should say, but uh, he is certainly, and has been a mainstay, you know, through the Turgeon era uh, and, and been a big reason why he, uh, this program has had the success it has had in in recent years, Um, you know, responsible for recruiting players like Diamond Stone, uh, Bruno Fernando, Jake Lehman, Kevin Herter. Um, He's Maryland's, you know, number one recruiting assistant. And he's also the one with the strongest ties to the DMV area, which we know is uh, very important. Um, you know, he used to coach at St. Francis Academy. He's a Baltimore guy through and through. Had a really nice college career at Southern New Hampshire uh, University, who Maryland actually uh, scrimmaged this past year. If that 
uh, name sounds familiar. And uh, yeah, he's just had a very interesting, you know, playing career, coaching career. And it's nice to see him get some recognition of as one of the best recruiters and assistants in the Big Ten. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be Maryland basketball over the last few years without him on the bench. Um, so we'll look forward to that article. Mike, what do you have in the works? Uh, what, what, what are you previewing for the people? Well, as I talked about last time, I wanted to do a rundown of the Big Ten teams, uh, the rest of the Big Ten teams outside of Maryland. So that's still something I'm working on. But I had something else in the works, but with the non-conference games cut off and some of the other news, I've had to pull back on that and wait to see uh, on uh, on that uh, end of things. So I may have to redo that story and take another angle. So I'm not going to get into that because I've kind of had to scrap that, unfortunately, with the fluid situation. You know, you think you have some good ideas and then some news floats up, you know, floats about uh, with, uh, you know, with what's going on right now. Yeah, and it'll, it'll all change in a couple of weeks when we record our next episode, I'm sure. Uh, I'll have a few more positional previews. I'm just, you know, hammering those out this summer. So keep an eye out for those. And until then... Um, I think that's about it for us. I think we've covered everything. So be sure to follow us on, on Twitter at Talking Terps BSL. Uh, and we will see you guys in a few weeks. Uh, for Pat Donahue and Mike, Pop- Mike Popovic, and I swear I'm going to get that right every time. I'm Zach Kiesel. Roll Terps. <laughs>